0: The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's good, everybody? This is Sky from Davy Jones' Locker Room. This is Beneath the Frozen Sea with a free agency update. We'll be talking about the Kraken's free agency as well as the wider trends in free agency because it's very interesting this year. And we also have some maybe less than ideal stuff that we're going to talk about. Might as well start with that. It's really not fun, but this is something that needs to be covered. Several team executives as well as player agents are braced for a potential release of an NHL report on whether or not NHL players have been implicated in a sexual assault case that occurred just after the 2018 World Juniors regarding Team Canada. For the more selfishly minded in our audience, no, that does not include any current or former Kraken, but it does, however, possibly leave the NHL with a very uncomfortable decision to make Regarding several NHL players, several of them are either big stars or rising stars. Members of that team include Dante Fabro, Rob Thomas, Kale McCarr, Carter Hart. What happens if they are implicated in any of this? especially after many of them left a statement giving the impression that they were not involved. What about Alex Formanton of the Senators? actually quite a few Ottawa players on this 2018 Team Canada roster who said nothing regarding the entire thing. Are there going to be suspensions? Are there going to be lawsuits? Are we going to have to figure out whether or not executives knew anything? Are we going to have to find out whether or not player reps knew anything about it? whether or not agents knew anything? It's going to be a very messy report no matter what, and of course, it's talking about a very, very evil thing that a bunch of young men potentially could have committed. And frankly, uh, it's just not going to be a fun, fun time regarding uh, this report whenever it drops, which the timing of this report in and of itself is controversial. The NHL said they would release it, and it has been past the first flurry of free agency, it's been past the prospect camps and development camps. We're now in the doldrums of the free agency period, where most teams are just kind of making small trades and small signings here and there. It really does feel like the off-season's off-season, and still no report has come out. While you could say that they're trying to be thorough, after all this does involve their employees, It just gives the impression, especially with how low fan trust is with the league, particularly Gary Bettman, that they're trying to do everything that they can to maybe make this news go down as smoothly as it can. Especially given that you could have several NHL players who are on uh, advertisements and billboards and uh, out in front of arenas and all that. are not only implicated but a number of players could be individually charged from different teams for a sexual assault crime and be considered criminals under the law. I just get the feeling that we're going to be doing tons of baseless speculation like the last two minutes were until we get some answers and unfortunately the NHL feels like they can just sort of wait it out and I just disagree. I feel like having a report Whenever it's ready. Whenever you believe beyond a reasonable doubt that the information presented to you is the facts and is correct. So that these players, if they are implicated, can face the proper punishment. Because, frankly, the NHL didn't do a great job regarding the Kyle Beach situation. And I feel like they need to make it clear that this kind of thing is not acceptable in their league and not acceptable in the sport in general. And uh, one more thing before we talk about uh, the Kraken and their free agency and free agency in general is I really got to ask a question to a number of the larger beat writers in the sport as it stands. 90% of the reporting that has been done on this scandal and the separate 2003 Hockey Canada scandal has come from one man, Rick Westhead, who has a lot of pull in the industry. He's a very good journalist. He is one of probably the best sports investigative journalists in either the U.S. or Canada, if not the world. He, generally speaking, is not a sports writer. He works for CTV, he works for the New York Times, and he generally isn't involved in hockey unless he's breaking these gigantic scandals. So why is it exactly that full-time media members full-time reporters full-time press people in the nhl sphere remain behind the curve on all of this and it's not just this particular investigation which has been very professionally done regarding a serious issue that should probably provoke greater discussions as to who gets to be involved in junior hockey in canada and more importantly who gets to make the oversight regarding hockey canada's decision making And specifically when it comes to bad behavior on the part of the players involved. But why is it that guys like Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnston, Julian McKenzie, Greg Wyshynski, good writers, good commentators, as far as I can tell, are still so behind the curve on all of this or hesitant to even say anything at all about any of this? Why are you so consistently behind the ball? And when genuinely big news like this comes out or is insinuated to come out, why are you so reticent to speak? Are you really that afraid of your press credentials getting taken away? Are you afraid of your access being restricted? Several of these major journalists work for major media conglomerates who partially own these teams. Guys like Elliot Friedman and Chris Johnston should have no fear of having to ask uncomfortable questions that should be what journalism is right or is hockey journalism in such a bad way that access that being a quote-unquote insider man matters more than truthful reporting regarding the news in the nhl which is what we supposedly rely on these people for but i guess i'm just a guy with two blogs and a podcast What would I know? The investigation is still ongoing, and we will pick this back up when the report finally drops. There really isn't a good way to hard right turn out of this, so I guess the best way for me to uh, transition into this is let's talk a little bit about the Kraken's free agency so far, Uh, at the very least up to this recording, which was on the 13th, posted on the 14th. It started off pretty low-key before the free agency period began, with four RFAs receiving their qualifying offers. Will Borgen, Cale Fleury, Vince Dunn, and Cole Lind, all but one, are signed now. We'll talk a little bit about that later. The two players who didn't receive qualifying offers were Daniel Sprong, who was their third-highest goal scorer, and Morgan Geeky, who they had been trying to trade throughout the draft, but really couldn't get a biter on. I really liked Morgan Geeky. He was a big part of the community outreach effort for the team. He was up for pretty much anything they asked him to do. He was a great team player when it came to that sort of thing. And Daniel Sprong, again, a bit surprising given how well he played, but uh, I suppose that if you play that well off of a PTO, you expect a significant raise. And I guess Seattle just... Didn't really agree with him on term or money. They both have new teams. Geeky is on a two-year contract with Boston. And Sprong picked up a tidy one-year deal with Detroit. We wish them both all the best. Next, they shored up the goaltending depth with Joey Decord. The New England native received a two year contract at 1.2 million AAV. Aside from the inherent biases of living roughly around where he grew up, Joey Decord is a very good player and has really proved himself in the Coachella Valley Firebirds system. This is a good prove it deal for him to not just fight for the backup spot against Chris Dreger, but hopefully try to uh, really establish himself as the future of the team's goaltending going forward. As of right now, that still belongs to Philip Grubauer in the immediate term, but this is a good way to start looking towards the future of the team in net. I really like this contract, and I really hope that Joey manages to win the backup job. But hey, it's still a competition, so best of luck to Dreger and Decord this upcoming preseason. And all of that was preamble for the first day of free agency where the Kraken mostly did nothing. They started the day with John Hayden receiving a one-year two-way contract with an AAV of $775,000. They followed up that signing with another depth signing of Marion Studenick, formerly of the Dallas Star System, to a one-year $775,000 contract. And to round things out, they had yet another depth signing, this time a defenseman, Jimmy Schult. Schult has been part of a dozen organizations in his career so far, the Kraken being Just the most recent. My exact opinion of these signings is that they are depth. They're almost certainly going to be mainstays on Coachella Valley or as the 13th forward or a 7th defenseman on long road trips in case there are day to day injuries. Nevertheless, we welcome them all either back to or to the Seattle Kraken organization. Really, the biggest name that they signed on the first day of free agency was Brian Dumoulin. He was a long-time Pittsburgh Penguin and he is currently on the Kraken now on a two-year contract worth 3.15 million AAV and has been the model of a perfectly cromulent bottom-pairing defenseman for the better part of nine years in Pennsylvania. I imagine that he's probably going to be taking up Carson Soucy's spot now that he is in Vancouver. Uh, he didn't have exactly have great power play numbers. In fairness, they didn't really use him on the power play. And really, the only big knock against him is that he's 38 and a bit injury prone. I imagine that he is going to use this opportunity to get one last contract, maybe uh, set himself up for a nice quiet retirement, and uh, see if they, these uh, young wicker, and see if any of these young whippersnappers in uh, Coachella Valley can actually uh, dethrone him. And that was kind of it for day one. Very unsexy, very, very simple, trying to get all their ducks in a row before they could start making more interesting signings, which they did over the next few days. Starting on July 2nd, the Kraken made a feel-good choice. They brought Kayler Yamamoto, a Spokane, Washington native, back home on a one-year, $1.5 million contract. Yamamoto is slightly undersized, but he really doesn't play like it. He is an actually really good defensive player, which is not something you'd expect from a guy who can skate like he does, and in general plays with the puck very strong. He does not play like he's 5'9". In my professional estimation, he looks like someone who could be in any point on the right wing for the Kraken. He could be on the third line, he could be on the fourth line, being a forechecking nightmare, Or he could be a reasonable patch for Andre Burakovsky while they let him heal. Either way, I really like him. I love the way he plays. I love the way he works. He is, in many ways, a model Seattle Kraken. You just don't know it yet. And really, who doesn't love a local kid getting to play for his hometown team? That's just warm, fuzzy stuff right there. Love the signing. Cannot wait to see him in a Kraken uniform. Seems the office took a little time off as there was almost a week of no activity by the Kraken, just until a little after 4th of July, as the Kraken avoided arbitration with Will Borgan and got him signed to a two-year deal worth $2.7 million AAB. By now, if you've been paying attention to our written content over at DavyJonesLockerRoom.com, you know that we are big fans of Big Billy Borgan. We think he brings a lot to the table. He's a sound defensive presence on a team that can be kind of herky-jerky in their own end and he does exceptional things in transition and was a big part of their strong transition offense especially now that he's actually getting reasonable minutes in the inaugural season he just didn't receive many minutes and in my opinion that was a big part of why the defense struggled as much as they did it's also following the trend of nhl free agents signing very 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 short deals in order to potentially take advantage of a massive cap increase that is rumored to be coming in the following season seriously it was considered news that one player had received a three-year contract and that was long for this free agency period still i'm very happy that will borgen is with us for the next couple of years and i hope that he is with us for many more big fan of the signing Then, the Kraken signed Tucker Robertson to his entry-level contract. He was a fourth-round selection in the 2022 draft. He was, in fact, a very good player for the Peterborough Peets this year. He led the team in goals and points, and led them not just to an OHL championship, but all the way to the Memorial Cup. That's a great year for a guy like him. He's also critically 20 years old, meaning that he does not have to deal with the AHL's nonsense regarding the OHL so go on ahead make yourself at home in coachella valley i'm sure you'll find plenty to love about the desert out there and hey if you're good enough you might just make your way to seattle in the next couple years next they got a couple of depth signings they got former lightning pierre bedward belmar and connor carrick both of them received a one-year two-way contract worth $775,000. these two will be important depth for the coachella valley firebirds in theory a lot of people got very concerned about the Belmar signing. He is very much the depth guy's depth guy. He is really getting up there in years, and his offense is basically cratered. He really only does like defensive stuff like penalty killing. And given the kind of player that they have right now, it feels kind of a bit of a misfit. But I would like to posit Pierre-Edouard Belmar is not actually here to play many games for the Seattle Kraken. He is there to scare Shane Wright. I really don't think i need to go into further detail about the extremely bizarre circumstances of shane wright's career so far in the kraken organization he was hamstrung by the ohl-chl agreement which meant that he either had to go back to junior hockey where he really had nothing to prove or go to the nhl where he still needed time combine that with a nightmare playoff scenario in the ohl playoffs and then going to become a depth guy for the Coachella Valley Firebirds during their playoff run. I think we can say that Shane had a very rough start. But this is something that I feel. So I imagine that this is the guy who Shane Wright has to prove that he is better than. He is, in my opinion, close. I just want to see what an off-season of workouts, what it looks like after development camp, after training camp, after preseason, if he is better than pure Edouard Belmar day to day to day, because that's what they're going to need from him. And if he wins this job, Kaylor Yamamoto and Brandon Tanev are, in my opinion, the best possible veterans that he could learn from. They're guys who play a really hard-nosed kind of game. They really love forechecking in a way that could really open him up for scoring chances. This is the best possible place for Shane Wright to gain reps, but he's gotta win it. He has got to earn it, and he has to prove it against Pierre-Edouard Belmar. And if that fails, you have a dependable, if not exactly spectacular, forward in Belmar to fill the void. So with that all together, it looks like the Kraken are gonna look more or less the same than they did last year. But looking at the projected cap space going into the season, It's very interesting that the Kraken have over $9 million left. They will probably use a good chunk of that to sign Vinnie Dunn, who they still have to go to arbitration with, or are still, as of this recording, negotiating a deal as we speak. But you know, there's still enough here that I wonder if they're planning on making something happen. Just to be clear, I don't have any insider information on what they could be doing. But even if Vince Dunn gets what he needs, there could still be a large chunk of change here for an Impact player later down the line. You never know. We'll just have to wait and see if certain rumors regarding Eric Carlson were just that, or if we're talking about a brand new number one defenseman on the Power Play. That'll do it for Beneath the Frozen Sea today, a bit of a heavy episode that got a little lighter as it went along. I hope you stuck with me, and I hope you enjoyed the episode in general. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and we will see you next time. Go Kraken!